Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? Dave, I don't know how you do it. I don't know if it's costing you a lot of money. I don't know what favors you're cashing in, but you have another guest. So why don't you introduce your guest to all of us? I will, but only if you and I can reach an agreement, Darren, which is this is the last time you use that line when we introduce a guest, because you've done this before. And, you know, I think our listeners are catching on to your phoniness. And this is really about being authentic. Okay. (laughs) Scoreboard. Fair enough. Dave, one ding. All right. So we do have a guest today. Uh, We're honored to have Mark Noon with us. Mark is the uh, principal speaker and author, or he's the principal of, but he's also a speaker and author for a Leadership 10, uh, another leadership training organization. And uh, he's uh, a former Air Force, I mean, Air Force guy. So um, <laughs> I won't, won't hold that against him. He's on this show anyway, you know. Um, and frankly, he was in healthcare, which is a good thing, by the way. I'm not minimizing that at all. So it's not like he was one of those wannabe pilots in the Air Force who wish they were naval aviators. So right, right. Um, so uh, shout out to all my fellow Air Force uh, friends out there who know exactly who I'm talking to. But Mark, welcome to Disarming Persuasion. Hey, Dave, Darren, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't bring the Navy with me, but the Air Force is all I've got. So <laughs> no, no worries. You know, um, any any branch of the service that when they're building a new base, the first thing they do is put in a golf course is actually okay with me. Uh, golf right. course, golf course officers club, and then they go, oh, we're out of money for runways, Congress. We need more money. Um, you got it. So, have you ever have you ever seen the Air Force Air Force Air aircraft carrier that has the golf course on top of it instead of the flight line? That's the Air Force aircraft carrier. So that's yeah, how it works. Exactly, <laughs> and it's really stable. <laughs> Some of the best bachelor officer quarters I've ever stayed in, no kidding, were always at the Air Force. They were just like a Hilton or something. It was fantastic. They are. They so, are. That's right. At any rate, um, as our, our, our audience and listeners know, we always start by asking our guests the same question. Where it goes from there is always a mystery. I love how it unfolds. So we'll start with that question and let's see where this conversation takes us. Mark, what our, our name of our podcast is Disarming Persuasion. What does that term, disarming persuasion, mean to you? Yeah, that's, you know, you got to decipher the words. You know, for me, clarity is the first law of learning. So I always go to the dictionary when I look for, you know, to get the exact meaning of a word. Well, I think of disarming is is putting down the defenses, right? So if we think about how do we um, make other people put down their defense, and then the persuasion part to me is obviously persuading them to do what it is that I want them to do. So as a businessman, you know, do I want them to, you know, buy my product. Yes. How do I persuade them to do that without them getting defensive about it? We get those emails every day that are trying to sell us something and we hit delete because we just want to, ah, or we put a block on it so it doesn't come near us, right? To me, disarming is allowing those things to happen and feeling good about it. That's disarming persuasion, in my opinion. 
Okay, that is a brilliant definition of that. And what dictionary are you using on that? So um, we can refer to that for other words. We don't. Well, know. I don't know Who that I actually that I actually quoted the dictionary right there, but I always go to it. And, and disarm is is to really let your defenses down. I don't know if that, that's me paraphrasing. I like the Oxford eighteen something whatever dictionary. Um, it's interesting when you go to that dictionary, you'll find words that don't even that didn't even exist back then that we use now. So I'll look right. up a word and I'll be like, wait a minute, where is it? It didn't exist in 1828 or whatever that was first made. Well, that it's good to know because sometimes Dave used words that I, I don't know I understand. So I have to kind of remember them in my head and then look them up after just so I, I know what he's talking about because he is quite an erudite. Well, he, the Navy has a whole different language. You know, nobody understands it, not even most of the people in the Navy. So it, it, it doesn't help that I make the words up as I go along. Either. <laughs> right. fair, fair enough. So. My first question, Mark, is you were yeah. in you were in the Air Force, correct? I was. Okay, so what can you take from your learnings in the Air Force that you apply to what you do in in leadership? You know, it's interesting you ask that because we do a uh, in our local area here in the Panhandle of Florida, we do a free um, young professionals training course. We do it twice a year, five months. These young professionals come in and meet. There's usually between seven and twelve of them. And we, we train them on leadership and we talk through a lot of different things. They meet one Saturday a month for five months. They also get a one-on-one -on -one coaching session with either myself or, or one of my two partners. But what's interesting about that question is each of our courses have had somebody from the Air Force, typically an Air Force pilot that has been in this course. And because I'm in an area that has a plethora, we got two, mil two Air Force bases here, we got lots of planes flying. So it's invariably we're gonna get one of those military folks in our course. And every one of them has told the same thing to me that I experienced when I was in the Air Force, did 20 years in the Air Force. There's great leadership training, but there isn't a lot of practical application to those leadership principles. Um, Dave, you've probably seen this when you've gone through some, some of the Navy leadership training. As you go to these courses, they might be a week, they might be six weeks, and you learn all this information. And then you go back to your squadron, you go back to your group and you say, okay, I'm ready to put these things in place. And here's what you hear from sometimes the, the, the existing leaders. Oh yeah, forget everything you learned there. Here's how we do it here. And that's not leadership. That's not a practicality. That's just information. So for me, it was that I learned a lot of things, a lot of leadership courses, didn't get a chance to put them into practice as well as I had wish I, I had at that time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And I know, Mark, you and I have spoken about this offline before. I, my experience yeah. was very, very similar. In fact, the whole reason I wrote my book, Locked On Leadership, The Tactical Business Guide to Creating a Culture of Consistency, Courage, and Caring, I'm an engineer by training, right? So mm -hmm. I'm very, my, 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 my academic background is very systematic. Yeah. I've been a martial artist since I was 13, so I'm very disciplined in my approach to things. And, and the way you learn martial arts is by breaking those very complex movements down into their constituent parts and building on it. So it's also systematic. Right. Layer on top of that, the military, where there is a book and a way to do everything. I mean, I remember going through officer candidate school and they taught you how to fold your underwear. Right. Think about that. They literally teach you, here's how you fold your underwear. It's going to be in a six by six square, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know the Air Force is even more so than the Navy. And this is, again, not we engage in a little bit of fun earlier, but, you know, the Air Force and the Army have a slightly different philosophy. And the Navy and the Marine Corps, if it doesn't say you can't do it, you can, but you're going to be held responsible for that. 
In the Air Force and Army, if it doesn't say you can do it, you can't. So it's much more regimented, right? Mm -hmm. And so the military gives us a system as well, except in leadership. And the the leadership training is theoretical. It's high-level theory. Mm -hmm. The application is left, as you pointed out, to individuals. The the value we get, I think, is because Mm -hmm. our leadership changes every 18 months as you know commanding officers move in and move out plus we've changed jobs frequently so you get in in the six or seven years i was in probably saw six to eight different leaders and their styles and that's not counting department heads and you know uh you know intermediate leaders right in in the private sector you go to work you work for a place for six or seven years you've had one boss for six or seven years and so you get the benefit of seeing how different people apply this style, this standard, but there is no one system. And I know you and I have talked about this. Leadership really can be systematized, and and so that's that's fantastic. Um, I, it's I, interesting that, that as you say that, I'm thinking about you know I've had the same thing. I've had multiple leaders. I might be in an assignment for four years and have three different commanders. Um, but what's good about that, in, in one sense, is I've learned a lot of different styles. So in watching that, right? So you, if you work in one place for the same four years, you have the same boss, that boss might be a great leader. And you think, wow, this is how everybody should live their lives. Or you might have the worst boss possible. You don't have that, that experience to go, well, this is what was good and this is what didn't work. And I can learn from this and I can learn from both of these what not to do and what to do, Right. So it, it, there is that advantage a little bit, but at the same time, you're right, it's that constant change and all of a sudden it's the methodology of how we do that, right? Socratic leaders versus autocratic leaders, you know, all those different kinds of styles, that can be very frustrating at times as a military member. Yeah, absolutely. So if you had one piece of advice, and, you know, maybe we should save this for the end of the podcast, but what the heck, let's do it now. We, we you know. We, we roll here. Um, yeah. One piece of advice based on, you know, those, how, how long were you in? You retired, correct? 20 years, yeah. Mm-hmm. 20 years, and you retired as what? As a major, 04. Okay, mm-hmm. right. And that's right. You were a Mustang, so you were prior enlisted, and then I was. Put, put, put the commission on and, and realized, I don't need to work anymore. I'm, I'm an officer. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so uh, what, what what's the one piece of advice you would give to our audience who are saying, okay, how do I figure this leadership piece out? You know, and, and you interesting that you wrote a book based on your experience in the Navy, and I wrote a book based on my experience in the Air Force, all about leader development. How do we set up, that's the name of my book, set up, how do we set up people for leadership? You know, when I look back as my time as a leader, when I was an officer specifically and leading a, a larger group of people, what I tried to do and, and of course got better after I retired because then you kind of look back and go, geez, I could have done this a whole lot different. But what I really tried to do is set people up for that leadership position. So if I, you know, let's say Darren worked for me and, I, you know, I know that eventually he's going to be promoted to a new position or he's going to get a new opportunity to lead either at my, where I'm currently stationed or somewhere else. What is it that I need to do to set him up so he's ready? And here's the phrase I use to step into that leadership role and not have to step up to it. Right. We all step up and that's fine. You know, athletes, you hear this all the time with your with your kids or in athletics. You say the coach will come to you and say, hey, you know, Dave, uh, you know, your, your son, your daughter, whoever, you know, really stepped up today in whatever game, whatever sport. And that's a compliment. But at the same time, if that child has really prepared well, 
and they're ready to step in. It's almost an insult to say they stepped up. No, they're ready to step in. That's the place I want to put people. That's what I what I coach people to be. So in the military, that's exactly what I did. I'd take Darren and I'd say, okay, why don't you come to this meeting with me? I want you to hear this. I want you to learn this. I want you to see what happens in this meeting. I want you to be put in this, this position and this opportunity so that you can learn how to establish those leadership principles, not just learn them, but, but actually put them into practice, right? And then hopefully when you get that promotion, you get that opportunity, you can step in. Now, again, there's always a learning curve, right? It's not like you know everything, but you're so much better prepared to step into that role and not this big gap to step up and go, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Right? That's, that's the bottom line for me. Yeah, excellent. And that's, you know, and one of the things I write about is delegation as a way of building esteem. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in my paradigm, our job is to create self-actualized team members, right? People mm-hmm. who are there eagerly energized and engaged in doing whatever work they're doing. Yes. And part of self-actualization by, you know, according to Maslow is uh, they their esteem needs must be met, which is not self-esteem. It's they must feel that they are being held in esteem by the rest of the team, the rest of the group. Delegation is an excellent way to do that because we only delegate to people we feel are worthy of advancement. And simultaneously, we're setting people up for success. So we're avoiding the Peter principle because when we can test them out, see where their weaknesses are, help improve in those areas. And by the time we do say, okay, we're going to tap you on the shoulder for this next promotion, they've already done a portion of that job, a significant portion of that job. Right, right. That's exactly it. You know, I had my, my very first assignment as a, as a leader, and I mean a leader in the sense of an official position as well as, as the, the, the relational aspect. Um, two of my uh, folks in that particular organization, I had about 10 people I think I directly supervised, very smaller, smaller facility. Two of them went on to be E9 in, in the ranks, the, the very top rank that you can be in the enlisted corps. Um, and and I, I, I look back and I, I'm so proud of that moment because I remember doing exactly that with them is setting them into those spots, even though at the time they were they were E5. And to watch them over the years progress to that and know that I had some something in part in, in play, you know, to, to get them to that point is really, really satisfying. So I have two points and one is a point and then a question. So the yeah. point is, it's nice for you to talk both of you to talk about delegation and you understand the importance. It sounds like you nurture people, you empower people, and you inspire them, right? Which is really yes. important. A lot of times people think delegation is abdication. And they're like, hey, go do it. Good luck. Hope you make it, right? right? Especially in sales. And I used to teach leadership at the University of San Diego and other places. I yeah. also, my consulting company deals with sales. So as you transition from the military and you stepped into the consulting practice, do you have to engage in sales or what have you learned from the military result with selling as well? I know it's a transition, but I was just curious what your thoughts are. I'll tell you, the transition out of the military was probably one of the hardest things I've ever experienced in my life. And, and most military members will tell you that. The ones that who don't have a difficult time transitioning usually go from their military job to doing the same job in the civilian world on a military base, right? Yeah. All they're doing is wearing a different uniform to work. But for me, the transition, even though I remained in healthcare and even though I was involved in in consulting and coaching in healthcare, the transition was so difficult because it was such a different world. You know, I'm used to things like, as as Dave said, we have very point blank, step one, step two, step three. And not that I can't think for myself, but everything is laid out for you. All of a sudden, I'm going to these places I'm coaching and I'm wanting to coach it as a step one, step two, step three. And they're like, well, wait a minute. 
we can't do that, but that's not how we operate here. And, and that transition is very difficult. I think from the, the sales perspective is, is was a, a big, diffi- a very difficult thing for me because again, in the military, you're not selling, it already exists, right? If I go to somebody and say, hey, I need you to do this, or, or I, I need you to, to participate in this, it, it's pretty much, okay, you asked me to do it, I'm gonna go do it. There's no persuasion in that, right? I, and I don't say that I don't do it that way. It's not like I'm dictatorial. It's not like I'm going, Darren, you have to do this because I don't rank you and that, that's not the idea. But persuasion is a little easier when you have a position of authority versus a position of, of a peer or somebody who's even trying to sell up to that person. So sales for me is very, very difficult. Now, as I've transitioned now again into my own coaching and consulting business, because I worked for another company previous, um, that's still a difficult road for me because I struggle in having people see that without trying to get a little bit too forceful or too direct with them as I did in the military. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people have that challenge. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's interesting. My first job after the Navy, well, I, my, I, my first job was actually as an EVP of a startup company that uh, a buddy of mine from Officer Canada School and I started, but that lasted about 18 months. And the problem we were solving was solved by people with deeper pockets. Um, so I ended up getting a job in sales and telecommunication sales. Mm-hmm. And it took me four months to start to sell. And it took me four months to sell be- because although I knew the steps of a sale and I knew the product inside and out, I had great mm-hmm. product knowledge. What I didn't know how to do is to connect with people. Because again, the military ethos, the the culture is just, this is what you need, boom, 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 do it. Yeah, right? It's yeah. kind of in your face. And as you said, because of the positional authority, you know, if the boss says, um, you know, would you mind doing this? We all know, would you mind is just fluff words that you don't even hear. <laughs> all you right. hear is do this, do right? This, right? Right. And that's just everything else before that is just, you know, politeness. So that was yeah. a big big challenge for me as well. Uh, I'm wondering if you're open to something right now. And this is this is unscripted, folks. Uh, Mark and I or Darren and Mark, none of us have spoken about this. But we, Darren and I have talked about doing a, a, a new, I don't call it a segment, but a new um, approach on the show that um, where we want to work with people who might have challenges in specific areas and see if we could coach you in that area. Sounds like you have some challenges in sales. Are you open to being coached in sales live with all of our clients? And I put you on the spot because because Who now says no at that point, right? You know, yeah. I, I think the, the the number one thing about being a leader is that you are coachable and that you're teachable and that you don't think you know it all. So absolutely, I'm always looking for the opportunity to learn different ways of of selling. I think I'm very good at connecting with people. I think that's a gift. Um, I, I listen. Listen, one of your guys is uh, one of your podcasts uh, a while back was uh, on um, knowing people's names or remembering their names. And um, that's a very big skill of mine, something I've worked at really hard at. But it's that last little bit of getting over the line and, and saying, OK, I've connected, I've, I've listened, I've done things really well. How do I get to that challenge and influence of, of uh, connecting or making the sale? Absolutely. So I'm going to turn this back to our sales expert. I'll chime yeah. in as I feel. But uh, the gentleman who I consider my PhD level instructor in sales, who happens to be my co-host, and yeah. we're going to toss this to Darren and, and see if you could help Mark figure that last piece out. Well, I don't know if I can assist, but I can ask a couple of questions. Is that fair? Right. Absolutely. Okay. 
All right. So how do you, so you said at one point it, you, you develop relationships, you connect, you engage. And then here's the challenge that consultants have. You probably don't have it. So let me just ask you this right up front, right? A lot of times consultants want to demonstrate their expertise by fixing something too soon. Yeah. And they might be fixing the symptom and not the actual problem. So when I go to my doctor and I say, I think I broke my toe playing hoop. He says, tell me about your diet. And I said, do you not listen to me, doctor? I broke my toe playing hoop. He goes, about your diet. I said, you, I know you're a great doctor, Dr. Appleseen. You've been around for a long time, but you don't listen. He's like, look, there's something about gout. And I go, I'm married. I don't know what it is, but it sounds horrible. There's no way I could get it. No matter what it is, right? Can't get it. Yeah. It somewhere exists on some planet. And he's like, no, it has something to do with you're an athlete, right? Your body might be taking too much protein. So if I had done what I had thought, mm -hmm. I would have rest, ice, compression, and elevation. Sure. Eating roast beef, drinking a couple of beers. And at the end of the week, when I'm elevating my foot, it would be worse. And I blame the doctor, right? So I, yeah. I say that because a lot of times people are solving the symptom and not the real problem. Yeah. Are you asking enough questions, do you think, to find out the, the compelling emotional reason? You know, I like to think I am. I like to think I've learned that process over the last eight years in coaching and consulting. Um, if you'd asked me that question seven, six, even six years ago, I probably would have said, I have no idea how to ask the right questions. Okay. You know, and, and part of my, part of what I've, I, I've, I've learned, and again, when I say I've learned, doesn't mean I'm anywhere close to being very good at this, right. but I've learned how to not ask the why questions and ask more of the how and the what questions okay. because the why questions come across as accusatory or they come across as I know you know, something that you don't know, or I know more than you, or I know better than you. Whereas the how and the what I think is, is where we get a little deeper into what you're talking about and asking for the symptoms, right? Okay. Well, let me ask a question then. If you could demonstrate for us or give us a better idea of where in the sales process you struggle, maybe with a little role play or just yeah. for yourself, and that might give us a better idea. Before you do that, I do want to give you, uh, if you're open to it, um, uh, something that I've learned, which is, yeah, why is an important question, but you're absolutely right, it is accusatory. Yeah. So what I always coach my folks to ask is, what is the reason, which obviously yeah. is all why is, yeah. but it's a much softer question. Right, correct. Right. The only time I use why is when I'm talking about myself. By the way, this, and and this came uh, right actually from Chris Voss's book, uh, um, you know, he talks about in, in, um, never split the difference. Thank you. Never split the difference to great give credit where credit is due. Uh, but so uh, why would I do this is a great question, but I would never say, why are you doing that? I might say, well, what's the reason you're doing that? So right. yeah. uh, just a little, little something there, but help, help us understand where you're struggling, uh, bringing it over home. You know, I think even back to the title of your podcast, Disarming Persuasion is, is how do I feel as though, I can ask for the sale hmm. without crossing a line. In my mind, there's a line that says, I can get you right to this point, um, but I can't get you to say yes, right? And I think that's where most salespeople struggle. So let, let me ask a question, if I might. Um, you probably aren't asking your clients about what the cost of failure is, are you? No. Okay. I, I, I say no in that, in the past, I have had that conversation, but not asked that question in that way. Correct. 
Okay. Is it because you didn't want to, you didn't want to offend, or you didn't know how to? You know, I think I think there's that part of, of people, you know, I'm a um, you want to be a nice guy. You want to you want you want them to make the suggestion and you come in with the answer, right? Rather than just coming in and going, I think I have a solution for that. Here's what it is. Mm-hmm. After asking those right questions, like you're saying, you know, the, the doctor asks you the right questions, then he can come in and say, here's the solution, right? I think for me, it's a it's that that point of where do I go? How do I take that conversation at that point? How do I take it to the finish line, right? I can get you three quarters of the way through the race yep. and then I stall and I hope you're going to say, that sounds great. Let's do something instead of me saying, hey, how do we do something, right? Okay. I'm going to take it back just one step further. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. So you're married, correct? Yes. You went on a date with your wife, correct? Yeah. At the end of the first date, she had a right to look at you and say, you are a loser. I don't want anything to do with you. Get out of my life. She had that choice, right? I suppose she did. <laughs> and she also had the choice to say, I really like you. Let's go out again. Yeah. yeah. You also, Not so many words, but by saying yes or no to the next of game. Of course. Right? Of course. There's expectations, right? Yeah. yeah. So when you have a conversation with a potential client, either call them a suspect or a prospect, whatever you'd like to call them, what ground rules do you establish at the end of the meeting? You know what's going to happen next. Like a date. Yeah. Yeah, like like having an affirmatory statement at the end that says, okay, we'll connect next week and I'll have this or you'll have this or we'll, we'll, is that where you're getting? Is that where you're going? How about even at the beginning? How about let's pretend sales is a game? Yeah. And every game is ground rules. You mentioned athletes earlier. If you're a baseball fan, you know, before the game, the managers come to home plate. If you're a football fan, they, they can't even flip the coin anymore because they screw up the coin toss, but they used to call it in the air. Now they don't do that anymore, but there's ground rules in every sport, right? right? Right. What if you establish ground rules for the sale that you let them know up front that they could tell you no and you could tell them no at any point during the conversation? Now you come across like a consultant and not a salesperson and mm-hmm. you know that your, your emotional needs will not be met. And I'm not saying this is the case with you and it's probably not, but a lot of consultants mm-hmm. think they're going to solve that company's challenges and their emotional needs get in the way. Mm-hmm. And sales is not a place to get people's emotional needs met. Sales is a place to go to the bank that allows you to buy the things to get your emotional needs met. Does any of that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can you relate to that or my way off face? No, I think I can see where that would that would hinder the conversation. And I, I like the fact that you say there's ground rules, you know, when when and, and shouldn't that be kind of it's almost like when I do a presentation in front of a group, there's objectives, right? At the beginning, I, I, I have the title and here's the objective slide. It says, well, this is what we're going to accomplish at the end of the day. Or when I have a conversation with people on the phone, they've invited me to speak somewhere. And I say, okay, what, what's at the end of the time when everybody walks out, what do they walk out with, right? That's exactly the kind of thing I think I need to probably apply toward the sales conversation, right. not just the after sale conversations. In the next CEO or person that you meet with and you say, you get to tell me no if you don't think what I have makes sense. When's the last time they've ever heard that? Probably never. <laughs> right. So do you see what you've now become? Yeah. And then now here's the challenge. And this is really hard for some people. I'm not saying you do it, but 62% mm-hmm. of all people have a need for approval. They care yeah. more about being, being liked than do about getting the business. And I'm not yeah. saying that's you. It's probably not. But the next piece is if I don't think what I have will bring value to you, are you okay if I tell you no? 
Now that prospect is either thinking this is the most honest person I've ever come in contact with. Mm -hmm. Or if you listen to one of our podcasts, we talk about transactional analysis. It talks about getting their child to come out. So that person is going, well, why would he tell me no? inside subconsciously so for the rest of the meeting that prospect is going to try to convince you why you should move forward and he or she is actually trying to convince himself or herself why they should move forward and it's a game changer it demonstrates your honesty going i'm not trying to get the bucko steak knives here you know i'm looking out for your best interest Mm -hmm. and because it's your best interest i'm looking out for because i'm looking for need for respect versus need for approval and Mm -hmm. if i'm shooting for need for respect i'm looking out for your best interest if i'm looking for need for approval i'm trying to protect my own best interest even if it's from being getting hurt does, yeah. does that make some sense? Well, it, it does. Uh, you know, when I when I think about um, even my partners and I have sat down and talked about what are, what are the companies that we would not work with or what are the CEOs that we would not work with? And it's 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 establishing that in the beginning. And I like that, that you're willing to stay even up front in the conversation. David, Dave's the CEO and I'm talking to him and I say, you know, Dave, here's 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 you can say no anytime. I like that. But also for me to go. You know, at some point in this conversation, I might say, you know, I don't think this is a great fit for us. I don't think we're the right company to, to, to work with you. Um, and and it, I like that because it's almost reverse psychology in a way. Now, almost Dave's going to try to convince me that I need to work with him, right? Like, like I, I need to be part of it. Like, what, what's wrong with us that we, we, we're not a good fit, right? And I don't think that's a negative thing. I think that's just an honest thing, mm-hmm. yeah. right? There are, there are companies that we, or CEOs that we may not work with because we know that the, the, we, we try to find our niche and, and that's outside of our, our niche. Could we do it? Yes, but it may not work as well as it is to stay within that. I agree. Yeah. Those, those clients that you frankly don't want to work with aren't going to have a great experience with you either. So right. you, you do them a disservice if you, if you have that approach of I will take all comers, right? So yeah. we're talking about coming from a place of abundance instead of scarcity. Mm-hmm. But there's another really powerful thing that will solve your, your the challenge you faced with us with if we preframe the meetings, which you're already doing after the sale, right? As you mm-hmm. just pointed out, but this isn't a sale. It's just a meeting to see if if there's a mutual fit, right? So reframe your your, your thinking saying, all right, you know, right. so, so there's, you know, a couple possible outcomes as Darren just outlined. And now you get to the end. You've asked mm-hmm. all your good questions. You understand what their challenges are. Yeah. And you think you can help them, right? So, because if you can't, then it's easy to say, "Listen, I, I, you don't even make an offer at that point, right?" You just say, "You know, I, I'm not sure that this is a good fit. You know, here are the challenges you have, and and, and this isn't really our wheelhouse." And make a recommendation, obviously, if you know somebody or or don't, if you don't. And he's, but if that's not the case, you believe you can help, then then it's an easy transition to simply go. Do you remember at the beginning of the meeting? We said, you know, if you couldn't, if you weren't comfortable working with me, you'd, you'd say, you know, I'm not comfortable working with you. Mm-hmm. And how, how do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Right. And they're going to come back. And uh, frankly, to Darren's point, a lot of times they're going to go, well, yeah, I want to work with you. But would, do you want to work with me? You know, and, yeah. and, and like all of a sudden they're begging you to come work for them. Right. Now all that's easy. Oh, okay. Well, certainly the way I can support you is blah, 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 or the way I work is blah, 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 blah. And here's, here, here's, here's, how I think I could support you. And at that point, it's just finalizing the paperwork. Mm-hmm. And if, and if I may, Mark, once again, it may not be the case with you, but when most 
people I speak with, companies. I'm, I'm launching a training in two weeks, training 800 salespeople from around the world on Zoom. Three hours a day, 80 people a shot. It's going to be horrible. Three hours a day, five days a week, different group all over the world, all different yeah. time zones, right? Yeah. Um, I have been doing this for a long time. I have found that there's not many people that ask enough questions in what I will call uncovering pain. Mm -hmm. So even if you say you're asking enough questions, I'm not a betting man. I'm a Patriots fan, so I would be wealthy. But anyway, that's a different conversation, Dave, isn't it? And so, but, um, and the flyers are coming for the Bruins. That's well, that's true. They are. The bees have been tanking different conversation. And so <laughs> anyway, um, if you want, you know, we can, whether it's here or someplace else, talk about some of the questions you asked to uncover pain, because there has to be a compelling emotional reason for that person to want to move forward. Not, um, you know, my mom was a, was a, a, a chain smoker, two and a half packs a day, Paul Malls, non-filters, horrible, horrible. And I used to, as a little kid, I used to, I used to take her cigarettes and put them in the freezer. Cause I thought if she couldn't smoke them, she couldn't, she couldn't have them and mm -hmm. she wouldn't be unhealthy. So that didn't go well. Yeah. And then I calculated a seven-year-old boy in the 70s, early 70s, she spent over $970 a month on cigarettes or something like that, whatever it was, a year. I don't know what it was. It was astronomical to a, to a kid that didn't have any money. And yeah. I thought when I presented this to her, it was probably a year. When I presented it to her, she'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You're, I mean, thank you for telling me this. And she called me a, um, a selfish child because I wanted her money. I didn't want her money. I just wanted her to stop smoking. It wasn't until the doctor said to her, hey, how do you feel being a grandmother one day? How do you feel about um, walking your, your boys down the aisle if they're ever lucky to find someone and marry them, which may not happen, which, you know, that, that could be true. How do you feel about not being able to do that? If you yeah. continue to smoke, Alan, you will not be able to do that. And I say that her birthday is tomorrow. She, she stopped smoking. In 1988, she lasted until 2016. It's because yeah. there was a compelling emotional reason for her to stop smoking. Sure. And it's a long story, but think about what's the compelling emotional reason that someone wants to do business with you. And I always tell my clients, as a consultant, you will appreciate this. It's never the person, the salesperson, the business owner, the consultant that gives the best information. It's always the consultant, the business owner, the salesperson that asks the best questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so maybe taking a look at some of the questions you ask to see if it's getting at their ability to want to move forward with you and you alone. Does that make sense? Well, it does. It does. And, and you know, I've, as I've learned in this last year, particularly how to ask better questions, that's where getting closer to that, um, um, a, you know, more of a skill set. It's not quite a skill set yet. It's getting that way. That's that's where it's moving toward. And, and certainly I would be open to somebody looking at the questions that I ask and, and devising better questions. How do I ask better questions? In fact, our, our companies come up with a, a communication tool that we use, a communication model. And part of it is questioning. And in, in that, it's it's curiosity first and then it's questioning and, and, and being curious and then being curious enough to know what kind of questions to ask. And it's easy to put the model together and say, these are the right things. It's still more difficult to put it into practice. Well, oh. most, most cobblers are barefoot. That's yeah, right. right. That's right. I've never thrown an interception watching a game from my reclining chair. Right. I can clearly see the, the quarterback should not make the pass. Yeah, right, right. That's only because your football is underinflated. 
<laughs> oh, there he goes with the Patriots again. All right. Oh, that that was brilliant. I, I'm not even going to comment on that because that was the enough, rest of the show. Isn't it enough that the Patriots didn't make the playoffs for the first time in in a, this century? Or you know, what I mean that that uh, he can't just go with that, huh? <laughs> well, that's because the underinflated football went down to Florida for nicer weather. Uh, well, he's, he's very close. He's very close to Mark now. So that's Mark uh, guy. That's right. Half the team is half the team is there, so that so that's great. So you want to ask a question, Dave, about real life, or you want to continue to rip on my uh, the team that has the most Super Bowl victories beside uh, tied with the Steelers? Wow. Okay. Oh wait, 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 wait. Let's go now to the most NFL championships. That would be the Green Bay Packers. That would be my team. So if we want to go down that road, we got to look at the history of football now. The NFL champ. Well, I like that. Way to go. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. Speaking of Mark, I always wanted to go. To Green Bay. I don't suppose you've ever been to a game, though, have you? Oh, I've been to several, huh? Really? What's yeah. one suggestion that you say I need to do if I go there? Just curious. You know, here's the thing about Green Bay football is if you don't go in the winter, in the in December for a game, then it doesn't even make any sense to go because it's got to be blowing, snowing, and below yes. zero to really get the full effect of a game. Okay. But, you know, the biggest thing is spending time in the parking lot with all those crazy people because they are tailgating from Saturday sometime till way after the game on Sunday. So that is definitely, but you got to go in, in December. And, okay. and you know that being a, if you've been to a Patriots game, oh, yeah. I mean, that makes, you know, if you got an outdoor stadium, you got to go in, oh, yeah. in the wintertime to be a true fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, ab, ab, absolutely. So is there, when I, when I go into the parking lot, is there some area more than others? You're like, oh, it's this corner. This is where all the, the, the wacky stuff happens. You know, I, 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 the times I've been there, I don't know that there's any one specific spot. I think they're just all over the place. You're going to okay. find, and if you just pull up and next to one of them, they're going to throw you a beer and give you a brat and, and tell you to join in. I mean, it's just going to be that kind of an atmosphere. Okay. So here's a, can I give you a sales tip right there? Sure. Did you notice the conversation we just had? Uh-huh. Okay. What was it about? It was about football. Did you see your, did you notice your face? It lit up. It had a different expression. You're smiling, right? Because right? I was talking about something I'm excited about, something I know about, and something you're interested in. And I want your help. So yeah. here's a suggestion for every sales call for the rest of your life: mm -hmm. ask for help about your personal life, not about business. Not about it's. Hey, I and it's true. I would love to go to Green Bay. I would love to catch a game. That's all yeah. true. When you get to tell it, you get to become the expert. When you get to become the expert, you want to be around me more. And yeah. You might even say, hey, I get, I can get you a lead on some tickets or, hey, you need mm -hmm. to stay there or go there. I know the owner of this restaurant. It yeah. changes the entire dynamic of a conversation. Sure, sure. So that's just a suggestion. How, how do you get to that part of the conversation if you're the one coming in trying to, you know, if, if you hadn't asked me about the football, how am I going to get you to be interested in that? That's the key, right? Good well, point. Right. And and. By the way, for our listeners, we have an entire podcast on this very subject, but here is the Reader's Digest version. Right In the beginning of every meeting, and, and this is not limited to sales, every meeting, we want to start off trying to make connections or reinforce our connections. Right. So for, for in a business meeting, for example, I might come in and ask, you know, so how long have you been with the company or something along those lines to so get them talking about themselves. And once we start that dialogue, I'm, I might say, oh, you know, uh, can I ask for your help, right? Just as part of that process, can, can I ask for your help mm -hmm. and have something sincere 
that you need help with. Now, you may have uncovered something in a conversation. Darren shares a story where he uncovered a, a prospect was a, a, a pitcher and his son was getting into baseball and pitching. His son who turned into a heck of a pitcher until uh, physiology took over. Um, and But, you know, it, it could be anything. It could be helping with the meal, right? Some, but, but as long mm-hmm. as it's sincere, ask for help in that phase before you get into the meat of the conversation. Now, all business meetings right sort of have an ebb and flow so you drop in and out of that that rapport building right because mm-hmm. you keep you're constantly building rapport so if a situation presents itself later on do it later on right? yeah. but if we go in with the intention of looking for a place where we can ask for help right then our reticular activator is engaged mm-hmm. right we're sensitive to that our brain will find that opportunity right so it's just one of those sort of pregame mindset rituals you have to go through. Okay, I want to look for help. Maybe have something, you know, like, oh, I've never been in this neighborhood. Where, where do I get a good lunch, right? Mm-hmm. So, but there's always an opportunity. Sure. So I'm going to give you some theory behind that, if I may. So, yeah. Mark, where, did you grow up in the Midwest? I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Yep, just north of Green Bay. Oh, he's a youper. He's a youper. A youper. Okay, got youper. it. All right. So, um. <laughs> People are very friendly where you grew up. Yeah. So if you are, if you saw a stranger, your parents said to you, those are called strangers. Make sure you walk up and introduce yourself to them because they're nice people. Did you get that growing up? <laughs> no. What'd you get? Well, don't talk to strangers, right? Why? I mean, that's everybody. Why? Uh, because you don't know them. You don't know if they're friendly. You don't know if they're nice. You don't know, you don't know anything about them. Stranger danger, right? You probably yeah. teach that to your kids, right? Stranger yeah. danger. Absolutely. And... If you said to your parents, how much money did we make last year as a family? And I think I'll ask my best friend's parents how much money they made. How'd that conversation go in your home or your friend's home? Yeah, none of your business. Because why? (laughs) It's none of my business. Exactly. It's (laughs) impolite and rude to talk about money, is it not? So now you're calling potentially a total stranger that's been told not to talk to you. Yeah. And you want to talk about their money. Yeah. So they already have, they're playing the defensive line. And you're trying to rush in and you can't because they're blocking. So anything you can do that changes the dynamic of that conversation, and there's something called transactional analysis. That's also in another podcast for listeners. They can listen to that Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Anything that you can do to break that. So when you ask for help, it actually totally changes the entire meeting because it says, I'm in charge here. When you say, and I always say, I need your help, but I don't suppose you can help me. Or you probably can't help me with this. What it does, it allows them to say, no, I can't. And not Mm -hmm. to feel awkward. Yeah. Because if I say, hey, can you recommend a good place in Green Bay? Like, no, I've never eaten there. I go to the game. I leave directly after the game. I bring a a sack lunch in. I don't go anywhere. Right? And then I'm like, where do I go then? But I said, hey, I don't suppose you can recommend a good place for lunch. You go, really? I really don't ever eat there. I'm like, oh, no problem. It changes the entire conversation just by flipping the question. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right. Well, Mark, hopefully we've been able to help you a little bit with uh, bringing bringing those meetings to a more fruitful conclusion. Yeah. Would you Would you mind sharing with us uh, you know, after you try and implement this uh, how it works out for you? Absolutely. Sounds good. Thanks for the opportunity to be on the show and to to learn from you as well as share a little bit of my uh, background. Yeah, and, and thanks for playing along, because as, as I said, this was completely unplanned. This was an idea Darren and I came up with, I, I think, a week or two ago, so mm-hmm. long after you and I had already chatted, 
And and I remember I, I'll listen again. You said something that went, oh, this might be an opportunity to to play try this out. Uh, yeah. I will say to our listeners, if you're having these kind of challenges and you want to come on and and, and get a little one to one or two on one coaching, right? We're going to tag team you. Um, but you know, it's it's painless. Mark, would you say? Yeah, it's painless. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, you make it fun. I mean, it was you know. At, I uh, wasn't expecting it, that's for sure, and I'm glad to receive it because usually in a podcast, you know, you're giving out, and to be able to give and receive is a, a big plus. Good. Can, can I just ask real quick, just for my own selfishness? Um, sure. What's the one, if you, I always ask, you know, probably you do this too when you do trainings, what's the one key learning that you got since we, we did put you on the seat, we hot seat, we didn't even plan it. Honestly, Dave just thought that made sense. And it really did right when you thought so. So I appreciate that, yeah. Dave. That was great insight on your part. What's the one key learning that you heard from us that you might be able to implement? I think for me, it's it's about um, connecting to their emotional needs, um, but but asking the right questions to be able to do that. You know, and, and, and I guess I would ask this question too is, you know, you think about a root cause analysis, it's the five whys, right? To get to the root of something. How many times do you ask questions to get to where it is before they get frustrated with saying, nah, it's enough now, right? All right. So I'll tell you my answer. I might have some more to add to that when we're done. So there's no set number, okay? And if you've connected well, this is why we always start every meeting with connection or bonding and rapport, whatever you want to call it. If I've connected well with you, I can't go deep enough that where you're going to have a barrier. If there's a barrier, it's because we're still at arm's length. That's number one. Yeah. Keep questioning until you get an emotional response. When, In other words, when they're being stayed and they're going, well, you know, it's costing me $200,000 a year to, you know, to, to have this problem. And, you know, I'm leaving, you know, half a million dollars on the table. Yeah. We're yeah. not emotional yet. All right. When I start going... You know, it's really, really frustrating because, you know, and I am so fed up with, right? And you could see the emotion. Yeah. You could hear the emotion. Mm. Now you're, now you've hit the vein. Now you got to go tell me more about it. That's what you want to yeah. start digging deep. And, you know, what, what if we could solve this problem? You know, what would that mean to you? Now mm. that they're already emotion, then they're going to start sharing. Okay. But until you get there, as, as long as they're Mr. Businessman, you got to keep prying. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I would echo that. And I would also say, let's face it, not you, but most consultants, salespeople, business owners that meet with someone, it's all about that, their company. It's all about the salesperson. It's all about your worst day of asking better questions. And this is for our listeners, not just for you, Mark, because you yeah. ask great questions. Your worst day of asking better questions will get you more sales simply because it's about the prospect. It's not about the salesperson, right? And so to build upon what Dave is saying, those are great questions to ask. And and I don't know, I was correct. I don't know who the Supreme Court justice said this, but one was asked to define obscenity. He said, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. So okay. how many questions do you ask? I don't know how to define it, but you know it when you feel it. Yeah. When if you, you know, there's three keywords to selling. It's nurture, nurture, and nurture. And if you're empathetic, you put yourself in their shoes, you'd be like, oh. And sometimes when you say, you know, $200,000 or whatever that is, um, I would say that's not a lot of money to you, though, is it? Because I don't know what a lot of money is. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, it is. Well, what would you do with yeah. the money? Yeah. 
And then you can build it out. And then then my question is the fact that we just found out you're out $800,000. This is a horrible question to ask, but it's important. How does it make you feel? Yeah. You know what? I, I feel horrible. You know what? And then here's the key point. When, when you uncover someone's pain, you'll say, hey, you know, I understand that seems horrible to you. I meet with a lot of business owners. 800000 is not even significant compared to what they've shared. So, you know, you don't want them to feel like they're the loser's loser on Loserville Island, right? Right. It's okay to be it's okay to be on Loser Island, but you don't want to be the biggest loser, right? <laughs> so you say, hey, it's not unusual. I hear that a lot. When you nurture those questions, they'll give you more. But if you go, oh, imagine the doctor. You say, well, and this hurts, and this hurts, huh? Right. You're like, what? You know, if you say, oh, I've heard that a lot. That makes sense. You know, I would have done the same thing. They will give you more. And when they give you more, they want you to get the sale because you've uncovered things they never knew that they had. And that changes the entire conversation. And they will work with you to get the business. Mm -hmm. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. I could probably talk all day on this and, and uh, I'm sure <laughs> we're at time. Well, th there's no probably, Darren, because you've done all day training. So I know you can talk all day on this. <laughs> That's uh, true. All right, Mark, any, any last words for our listeners before we let you go? No, I just, again, appreciate the, the opportunity to be on and, and to, to give and, and receive at the same time. It's been a, a real fortunate blessing for me. Thank you for that. Thank you for the wisdom. Well, well, thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for being such a willing guinea, un, unexpected guinea pig. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I look forward to continuing to connect with you. And, you know, obviously, if you're out in San Diego, let me know and I'll grab some lunch. And certainly if I get back to the white sugar sandy beaches of Pensacola, which yes. I miss and the gorgeous golf. Um, yep. Well, I, I don't know if you're a drinking man, but we'll meet at the Florabama Saloon. Shameless plug there for like the all time <laughs> favorite bar of my life. And uh, we'll have a adult beverage of choice. Sure. Sounds good. All right. Well, until next time. Bye, Darren. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Dave. Great job. Bye, Dave. Both of you. Bye, Dave. Thanks. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.